Anita, how's your mental health? <laughs> Questionable <laughs> at all times. You know this. Yeah. How's the mental health of your children? Um, also a little bit tricky. Can I tell you my experience in trying to find therapists for myself and my kids, Mel? Yes, please. Okay. This is how it goes. You ask around your friends and your family for a referral for somebody who's nearby. You finally find somebody who sounds like they might work for your family. You give them a call and you find out that A, they're not accepting new patients or B, they have a huge wait list. So you start over again and you ask people if they know anybody who would be a good therapist and a good fit. Finally, you find one, you go and you meet with them and you figure out that you don't actually like them that much. But it's been so much work to find somebody who you can go to in your area that you're kind of stuck with them. Well, do you have any ideas for how to get around this? Um, I do, because guess what? I've actually had some therapists that I have found on my own, which involves what you're saying. Sometimes I remember one time I was like three hours in the bathtub on my phone looking through yeah. websites. I was such a prune at the end. But I have also had the experience with working with BetterHelp and it was like, I, I don't want to say too good to be true, but because it is true, but it's like amazing because I was matched with my therapist within 24 hours. And you didn't have to go through all of that other ridiculous process of trying to find somebody. And here's the cool thing too, is if that person didn't work out for you, you can just switch and say, and it's not like you're committing to another years long search for somebody who you're going to jive with. It's true. And I lucked out or maybe just BetterHelp is really good at matching people together because I never had to change my therapist. I loved her. Perfect fit for me. And I know that some of our friends have used BetterHelp and they've had to change therapists and boom, same day can change. Easy peasy. You can ghost your therapist. <laughs> Get a new one. I love this idea. BetterHelp is one of our sponsors. If you use our promo code, trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN, you get 10% off your first month and we totally recommend it. Yes. Get some therapy. That's <laughs> trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN. Howdy, hi, Mel Shaw. Howdy, 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 ho, Anito. Hey, that's a cool nickname. I could get used to that. Like Dorito, Anito? Yeah. I need a Dorito. I, I had some Doritos actually already today. <laughs> We're so in sync lately, Anita. Do you remember the dream I had last week where you lived at the edge of a crater? <laughs> oh my gosh, I just had crazy dreams too. No, I don't remember that though. You remember? So there was a, a mountain lion chasing my dogs in the crater and I got them inside and I hurried and I escaped to a stroller that happened to be in your oh. house. And you said, get out of the stroller because there are high cases of COVID among infants and toddlers. <laughs> so get out of there. <laughs> so I told you in real life in the morning. My son had pulled out the stroller and I had taken a picture of him all hidden and curled up in the stroller and it had been put away for like ever. So then you texted me about that and there and you I go. And I did not see that picture before I had the dream. So yes. we're so in So it was weird. Um, I just woke up, Mel, and I was having crazy dreams. I was having dreams in my sleep that I was asleep and you were texting me to wake up, but I couldn't wake up. And then I was like, no, actually, you're still asleep. So it was weird. But I think I'm awake now. Am I awake? It looks like it, sort of, from okay, here. This is real life right now. Yeah, we're in real life. Okay, good. This could be amazing. It could be? 
What's happening? I'm I'm hating my life the last couple days. How are you? Fine. Oh, good. I think. Let me think about it. It's like okay. I'm in the moment, and so I can't remember anything before right now. Yeah, that's good to be in. They say that it's good to be in the moment, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there have been some stressful things lately, but I've been learning to work through those things that are out of my control. Oh, and that's really that's where I'm at. Stuff. Good job. Thanks. I tried to clean out Jason's toolbox. That has been the starter of all things sad for me the last couple of days. You've been doing a lot of home things. I have been. It's kind of like the floodgates opened and I was like, okay, now it's time to make things my own. And then I'm just sick and tired of being a parent by myself, Mel. So that's how I'm doing. And sometimes I want to lie about it to people, but then I try not to, right? How so? How would you like to lie about it? Like not talk about it. So when you say, how are you, Anita? I just go, oh, fine. Right? Instead of being like, no, I'm really annoyed. I'm feeling angry. I'm feeling irritated and upset and sad. Instead of being like funny, Anita, because I'm supposed to be funny, Anita. Don't you know that? I'm supposed to be like, ha, 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 happy all the time. Instead of multifaceted, Anita? No, I'm not. I'm supposed to be unofaceted. Yeah. Uh, I have feelings, Mel. And such is the conundrum of the widow. You should be moving on. You should be happy. Look, you put a floor in. Look, you did this. You're doing so great. And inside, you're like, I want to stab myself and everything. Yeah. Maybe I should find a mountain lion to get eaten by. Well, if you need my dogs to lure them to you, they are available. Speaking of my dogs, oh my poor Anita took Finn on a run. Qu- run in quotes. In quotes. Finn was very excited to be alive and to smell and to chase all of the things. And can I just say, I think it's hilarious that one of the ladies who passed me follows me on instagram (laughs) you mean my former piano student's mom that one is that who it is yeah laughing so hard when she's like i saw you and i wondered what was going on oh yeah he ate a bird that was the worst part let's give some backstory on finn finn is a two and a half year old weimaraner he's basically a big giant puppy in the brain but a big giant adult dog on the outside and he has some cataracts and so he doesn't see as great and things kind of freak him out and he gets really distracted the term adhd is a picture of finn in the dictionary basically and every single smell he would be a great hunting dog yeah he picks up smells really like all sorts of smells when the wind changes he can do all these things and like follow these scents and one time we did a barn hunt which is where the dog has to search out a rat and he found it in like three seconds which was amazing his first time so he's a great dog in his capacity however we didn't realize that he would be so out there with anita because he does great in controlled environments like agility and all this stuff and anita was being a nice friend because finn was told that he was slightly fat by the vet even though I don't agree. Anyway, so Anita was a champ and was going to take him on a run. And there were lots of distractions. I had this idea in my mind that it was going to be like me running along and Finn was going to be like 
smiling at me, like looking back at me and just smiling because <laughs> he was so happy to be out and in the fresh air. And then he ate a dead bird. Yeah. I, I was trying to get it out of his mouth and he looked right in my eyes and I was like yelling at him. I'm like, drop it, leave it. And he just looked right at me and I could see him being like, no. Did <laughs> so he I called Mel. No, no. Finally, I got it out of his mouth. But there was like a beak sticking out of his lips. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm like, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. Mel's going to be so mad at me. I know she doesn't let her dogs eat birds. It's not that kind of birds. I mean, they eat chicken, but. Yeah, but not the dead bird on the side <laughs> of the road. You're very careful with your dogs and their okay, diets. But Anita, did you get a full body workout? Oh, I got, I got, I got a definitely different workout than I would have gotten running. We only made it a mile, and then I was like, I have to turn around because something <laughs> bad is going to happen. And people were passing me, just laughing at me. And I, it probably would have been better if, if it weren't me with Finn, because I have very little dog experience. So I was probably doing the wrong things to make him not do the things he was doing. Anyway, and then when we Here's got what... home, he was totally calm. He came inside yeah. my house and laid down. And I was like, what the heck, Finn? You were supposed to be like this happy running dog. And he was so ex- like, he was excited to be out there. This And I t- texted Mel afterwards. And I was like, okay, we're going to go on a walk together. And <laughs> you're going to tell me what to do. And we're going to make this so Finn can go for a run with me and not kill me. Because he's running back and forth in front of me. And also twisting his harness so much because he's pulling so hard that it's making him so one of his legs won't even work (laughs) oh my goodness we need a comedy show oh wait our life is a comedy show comedy show yeah okay and my kids loved finn being here they thought it was amazing my four-year-old was like oh come with me finn and finn was like i do not recognize you as a human (laughs) no he doesn't know what, what people below four feet tall are, yeah, yeah. and so he's confused. But when I went over there to go get him, he was having a good old time yeah. with your son showing him his bunk beds and his toys. He helped clean up your floor. You're um, welcome. Also, yesterday, my four-year-old threw a pencil at my 10-year-old, and it stabbed him in the eyeball. <laughs> Anita, so many <laughs> things happened just in one day. That it's unbelievable because the night before that, there was the fish, another fish incident. And then before that, there's a cat and a dog thing. Can you please tell everyone about it? My son really wants a cat, like super duper wants a cat. And so he came up with a contract for a cat that he's going to keep his bedroom clean for 30 days. And he's going to earn all the money he needs for a cat. His bedroom has not been clean in the last two days. I'm recording a podcast. We're not going to Jenny's and we're recording a podcast. I'm recording a podcast. I'll talk to you about this after. Please go away. (laughs) I'm talking about your cat right now. This is not great for this purpose. I just told him we're not going to Jenny's because we're trying to be good citizens and stay home. Anyway, he wants a cat. I don't want cat hair. You can only get a hairless cat that looks really weird like the cat in, what's that show? Austin Powers. But... You could get a sweater for the cat. It could look sort of cute. Yeah, but they're like $1,500 for a cat. I looked them up online. So then I texted Mel and said, I think I'm going to get a dog. And 
she talked me out of it, which I was very, that was some adult, ad, emotional adulthood right there, Mel, instead of getting all excited and telling me I should do it. Can you believe it? I couldn't believe it that I did that. Yeah. She was like, Anita, you don't need that. And then my son murdered the fish. Finally, he has been trying <laughs> for months. I tried so hard to save the fish. I've tried so many times. We were recording an episode, a podcast episode, and this happened during that recording. Yeah. Correct. I don't even know, Mel. Please explain like what happened. the worst Be- thing in the entire world. I, can I please explain it from my perspective? So we get done recording that episode, and we hang up. And then I get a text from Anita, and she said, something has just happened that I don't think I'll ever recover from. I'm texting you from the shower. (laughs) And then I'm going to just read it. Hold on, because it's too good. Anita, please, this is my favorite story in the whole world. I'm sorry that your life sucks. (laughs) Okay, just a second. I don't know how to do this. Okay. I found number four dumping soap into the fish tank. So I grabbed it and started trying to rescue the fish. Again. There was a brown glob at the bottom the fish was eating. I thought he had dumped a bunch of fish food also. I was cleaning the fish tank and the rocks and the decorations. And I realized that it was poo. He had caught his own poo and put it in the fish tank and then put in soap to clean it up what and then the next text was and the fish is dead (laughs) there's so many questions that go along with this story by the way i think it was the soap that did him in i think that fish can eat poo and survive but why Sometimes we assume that unless we had a huge life insurance payout, we don't really need to know anything about investments or even finances. But guess what? A little knowledge of finances is critical for all of us. Maybe your partner was in charge of that stuff, and now you find yourself making all the decisions. Maybe you're mad about that. Maybe I am. Nicole from the He's Gone But The Money's Not podcast is here to help. She tackles financial literacy by telling the stories of women and widows and finance experts and shares the lessons they've learned as certified financial planners. Whether you know a lot and feel confident in your financial decisions or feel unsure about all of that stuff, there is more to learn. Listen and subscribe to the He's Gone But Then The Money's Not podcast on all podcast platforms. This ad was paid for by Rock House Financial, an SEC-registered investment advisor. I don't even know how to help you bring Jason back from the dead or trade spots with him. I don't know. Honestly, Mel, last night, sometimes at bedtime, I have to leave my house. I have to get in my car and drive away. And my kids yell and scream at me. And I know that it's like emotionally traumatizing for them when I do that because they think that I'm going to abandon them or something. But like I'm going to hurt somebody. So I have to leave. So I drive away and then I cry in my car someplace. And this time I pulled out in front of my house. I just pulled like 10 feet back so that I could make sure my house didn't burn down. And I was like, how, who can I give my kids to? Like, who can do this for me? Because I, I can't do this. 
and I was just trying to think who like would who there are not really any options I can't drop them off at a fire station I don't think that's a real thing you know what I'm saying you can't put them all in baskets and drop them off at the orphanage door like an Annie but really I was thinking I was trying like practically to think what like what are my options what can I do I can't do this anymore I need to find somebody else who can raise them how am I going to do this? Who do I contact? Is there like a government agency that lets you like give them your kids? I mean, how do you, how does one go about doing that? And then feeling heartbroken, thinking about my kids and how sad they would be. And then that piles on to my feelings of failure. It was just like a spiral of sad. And then I came back home finally and my son was in my bed And I just like cried and cried and cried and cried. And he's like, mommy, don't be sad. And so then I feel guilty because. So I think the only option is that you need to be rich and you need to have a live-in nanny. That's what I think. Yeah. Guys, Anita needs a GoFundMe or something. Here's the thing, though, is and I've explained this before. We've talked about this before. And this is what I was feeling last night. Everything that has to happen I have to do. Even with a nanny, I have to tell the nanny what is expected. Do you know what I'm saying? Because a nanny is not their parent. They don't have any responsibility towards the child other than following orders. Does that make sense? Yeah, but even if you had to write down orders, would it be worth it? Oh, it would definitely help. It would definitely help. Because like the thing that won't change is that you are the only boss yeah and then we go to counseling every week and they're like well you should probably you know stick your sons in karate so they can learn things you know and I'm like so what you're saying is is that in order to help them I have to take on something else right you know I have to take you to karate lessons and I have to pay for you to have karate lessons because what I'm doing isn't enough And you just need to do more. So that's where I am, Mel. Okay. Send Finn. (laughs) Finn is going to be the nanny. Yes. He's a good... He can vacuum with his mouth. He's like Nana. That'd be cool. I'd take it. But you talked me out of getting a dog, so... I think you should borrow my dogs. Yeah. I think if you got a puppy, you would actually slit your wrist. No joke. Yeah. But you know what? Get an older one. They're actually really great. There's rescue. Well, even more reason, Anita, for us to mention our Patreon so that your dreams of having a nanny that you still have to give rules to could maybe come to fruition at some point. So let's do a Patreon shout out. Patreon is so awesome. You can join for as little as $5 a month. The Widow Friend is $5 a month. Helps us with nuts and bolts of the podcast. The $10 level helps Anita get a babysitter and you get a shout out and you help with the nuts and bolts. The Widow Wife, you get Q&A input on the topics of episodes and also behind the scenes material. I should have taken a picture of that fish. I did. (laughs) And then we have our ultimate level, which is the dead husband, in which you get a t-shirt and you get to help choose the music for the Patreon shout out. And we just really appreciate you, too. And isn't our appreciation enough? And there's all sorts of other stuff, too, that's on the Patreon. You can check out the details if you go to patreon.com slash WWDN, because I'm sure we left some stuff out because we have Widow Brain. But anyway, it's amazing and it's fun. And 
It's interactive as well. And if you value the podcast, let's keep it going. Yes. Okay, this week's Patreon patrons are Rachel Barbosa, Karen Cornejo from Canada, Ileana Bell, Sylvia Shore, Anna Tracy, my mom, Gabe Lozano, Jenny Taylor, Aaron Posig, and the baby Joeys, and Wombats, Kara Scara, Jenny Barrow, Ashley Hahn, Christine Anderson, Wendy Black, Diana Becker, Marjorie Lewis, Sarah Morris, our favorite Jack-Jack, David Kelly, our dead husband, Shannon Helm, and Christina Scambato. Thank you, all you wonderful patrons. We appreciate you. Just so you know, we are still trying to get just a couple more t-shirt orders before we order them. If we don't get enough orders, they're like $1,000 each. So we're really close to that. And then we will place the order and let you guys know when they're coming. If that's a problem for you, let us know. But if you want a t-shirt for Christmas... That says you're a widow. Because who doesn't? Cool. Be sure to check out our Facebook Widow Wives Club. That is a private group for widows and widowers only. And please answer the questions. And if you are not a widow or a widower, you can be part of our public podcast Facebook group. Yay. Yay. Okay. It's time. I am ex- <laughs> What? What is that? Screaming in the background. <laughs> Hey, guys, like, five more seconds. Be quiet. Okay, let's get to our episode. Okay. What's happening? There's a... Did he just yell Finn's name? No, he's saying bam. Okay, go away. Just one second. (laughs) Okay, Anita is living in Armageddon right now. So we're going to get to the episode. And it's a super fun episode with a published author who is an amazing human being. So and cool. Can I just say that since we recorded the pod the podcast with her, I've read her book. Ah, and it's really good. So there's my little shout out and my little plug. So let's hear her story, shall we? All right, let's get to it. Here we go. I'm Anita. I'm Mel. We're just two young widows trying to figure out widow we do now. Anita, I am super stoked about our guest today. Yeah, she was recommended that we needed to interview her from one of our listeners and one of our former guests. And he put us in touch with Leslie. And we want to hear more about her story and learn more about her because we can already tell that she's a rad widow. Oh, thank you. I try. What a dumb category, (laughs) though. (laughs) Well, you know, if you got to be one, you might as well be rad, right? That's right. That's right. So this is Leslie Gray Streeter. Leslie. Where are you recording from? Where are you coming to us from? Baltimore, Maryland. Ooh, right. we had another Baltimorean. What are yes. you called in Baltimore? Is Baltimore- it Baltimorean? Baltimorean. Ooh. We say colloquially Baltimoreon, but we only say that to each other. <laughs> <laughs> Leslie, why don't you start into your story and tell us how you came to be in the dumb widow club it's a dumb stupid club okay so five years ago um i lost my husband um scott who was about a month and a half away from his 45th birthday um it was a sudden heart attack he had not had like a long-standing illness or anything he had your usual 
you know, mid forties kind of chubby guy with, you know, family history of heart disease and that sort of thing. Um, you know, and he knew he was, you know, uh, type two diabetic and stuff. He should have eaten better than he did. It was that kind of thing. And we knew there were things he didn't always do, but there was nothing that suggested that it was imminent. There was nothing that was like, Oh my gosh, go to the hospital. So, um, we were, you know, several hours earlier with our little one, uh, chilling out, watching wrestling, you know, as one does. Um, there used to be the show in USA called tough enough where they would like, it was like American Idol for wrestlers where they were like, you know, you had an audition to be a wrestler or whatever. What? So a, How come I've never heard of this? It was, yeah. And it, it doesn't come on anywhere, but it was so cool. It was on USA and it was the, the finale and we watched it and we're like, meh. So we went to bed and the next morning we were kind of, I woke up early because I, I wrote for a newspaper at the time, the Palm Beach Post in West Palm Beach. And I was supposed to be doing a story and it was due that morning. And the night before, you know, we've been watching wrestling. So I was like, eh, I'll get it really early and I'll, I'll watch it. I'll, I'll read it. I'll write it. I can't speak. Writing, that's the thing. Writing, I was writing a story. And, <laughs> We're the same um, way. <laughs> we got up and uh, I was awake and he was awake and we kind of started kissing. And then a thing happened and I'm not sure, you know, when when these things happen, you kind of play them back. You In the moment, you're trying to figure out what's happening. So it's when you download it, after the fact and you kind of start to think about what happened you go how long did that take because it could have been i say this in my book it could have been like five seconds it could have been 10 hours i don't know you're in shock in that point you're trying to sort of catch up to the moment and he said something's wrong and then he collapsed so um that started this whole awful thing where um like i said you're in a shock and that shock sort of shields you i say in the book uh, and I wrote a book um, that's kind of your bubble wraps you to get you through what you have to do. Um, I have talked about um, a guy when I was in my early 20s interviewing people at a, um, a newspaper I worked in in Pennsylvania. I interviewed a man who had just been widowed like four hours, five hours earlier. And I called him. His wife had been hit walking across the street um, in Gettysburg and they were Civil War reenactors. And she had like, they were so cool. And she had moved to this country and adopted it as her own and got married to this guy and loved American history. And he was, he was so cool. And he was telling me all about her. And he had this, um, he said, I, right now I can see the blanket that she was making for our reenactment uh, camp. And, and I said, you don't have to do this and he said no I feel like I want to tell her story and if I don't now in a couple of hours the shock will have worn off and I'll really it'll really have hit me what's happened so if I'm going to tell you the story I gotta tell it to you now so that's kind of you know you know what what that, that's like and you're sort of like a shock propels you forward and the first the next several days became you know a mass of hey who's picking up so-and-so from the airport and who brought food and what are you doing? And I kind of abdicated responsibility. I was as lucid as I had to be. And I ate everything that someone gave me. I did some fireball shots. Um, <laughs> the the day before um, this happened, um, Scott had gone down to a, a flea markety mall kind of thing where they sell a lot of, among other things, sports memorabilia. And he'd spent way too much money. And so to... Um, he always did this when he spent too much money, he would buy me something. And I wasn't supposed to oh, notice yeah. that he was spending more money. It's like, no, but I bought you this. And it That's was a classic like, technique. It's a you know, classic. Like the, 
It's like, look at this shiny thing over shiny here to distract thing. you from the, from the over here. From the thing. So he yeah. stopped at the gas station on the way home and bought me, for some reason, this gas station had sake. I don't know why. Um, and so he bought me this bottle of gas station sake, which I thought was hilarious. So the day after when the bad thing has happened, I'm wandering around the house and I'm like, what do I need to do? I need to do something. And I open the refrigerator and there's the sake and I'm barefoot looking like, looking like a crazy person. And I push it open and I start drinking in the middle of my living room on <laughs> the bottle of sake in my bare feet. And my sister who is incredibly sweet and incredibly like, Oh no, she's going to regret this goes, Hey. And I go, no. He bought me the sake. I'm going to drink my sake. The sake's being drunk. Thank you very much. Um, and my husband was um, white and Jewish, and I am uh, Christian and black. So the funeral, I used to like to say that we were like a sitcom. Um, yeah. Because, I mean, and not in a, even like a weird conflict way. Like we didn't have to learn to love. It's like we really dug each other. We'd gone to high school together and then. Um, didn't meet again. We didn't date or anything. We didn't meet again until we were 20 years later and planning our reunion. And both of us had wound, it, wound up in South Florida. So it just kind of went from there. So it was stuff like, what is Kugel? And why do, why are black funerals like 113 hours long? And why at my grandfather's <laughs> funeral, there was like a, they had a mime ministry. What? Yes. Oh, it was, it Oh my gosh. And my grandfather was a, was a pastor and I, I've seen these, I had never seen one up close, but there was a black Baptist church and they had a mime ministry. It was sort of like the marriage of praise dance and mimes. I don't know, but like this mimes, woman, like not talking like my mime. mime yes. Like, like yes, with she, a striped shirt and gloves. No, it was more like she, <laughs> she looked like a, like a modern dancer. She had like on a black leotard. She had the white gloves. And they sort of pantomime the praise dance, you know? So, and she's, it was, and I had never seen anything like it. And Scott goes, yeah. do they have mimes at all of your funerals? I was like, they do not. <laughs> there is not. <laughs> they don't. So it was that kind of thing where. Now I have moon, regrets. Me too. Right? Um, you got to do, you know, I hope it never happens again, but next Next funeral, do a mime. Um, we did not do a mime. He said to me, actually, because so many people had died in the years that we were together. We lost my dad, his mom. Both of us lost grandparents. We lost uncle. I lost an uncle. He lost an uncle. It was a whole crazy thing. So we had had a conversation, even in our mid-40s, about, well, if you died, what would you want? What would you do? And he, there was a no mime um, thing. <laughs> no mime clog. He goes, I don't think I want to want a mime. And I was like, Okay, good to know. Um, so we pulled together this sort of like hybrid Jewish funeral that had some pop culture notes, like his cousin who was doing one of the, um, he there was remarks and he turned it into a like 20 something minute eulogy that included stories about how Scott couldn't drive and like song, he goes, for my first song, I will be playing. And I was like, the hell? And it was, um, <laughs> he on his phone played that um, awful, awful song of No Widow I Know Likes from the Fast and the Furious. The, it's been a long day without you, my friend. And I'll tell you oh. all about it when I see you again. Because I, I had said, my sister was going to sing. And I said, if you, if there's anything, that song or Celine Dion or Mariah Carey, Jason, I will kill you so don't do that <laughs> so he's plays the song and i say to my sister i this the 
uh. so then he goes so my next song I go next song and it was the theme for the Jeffersons because that was Scott's favorite show which was hilarious and he had everybody come up and the rabbi was clapping and we were all doing the thing it was hilarious so it was like this whole weird thing and obviously that's really great and that's what he would want but also that stuff to do with the funeral and everything truly does take up the space that you would to think about that you've just been widowed. So it's the after that happens when everybody leaves. And I had people who continued to come down and visit for like about a week and a half. And then finally I split and went to my mother's house. She lived in Little Rock, Arkansas. She now lives with us, um, which is a whole long, other long story. But there's that moment, you know, when you wake up and you're by yourself and you're like, this is stupid you know, and you're, you're in your same house. Cause, and people mean so well when they say things like, well, you could move. I'm like, right now, this instant, like you're going to come pack me up. What? Or like when people, once again, everybody means well, well, 98% of people mean well, everybody does. Most people mean well, they just say stupid stuff because they don't stop to think about grieving because nobody wants to think about grieving. And nobody wants, it's stupid. Why would you want to think about it? Particularly, why would you want to think about being widowed? And it's like, as um, Nora McInerney says, you're, they're afraid of you getting their sad, you're sad on them, you know? And so they kind of want to do, unless they're really good friends or really close family, and they're also missing the person, they kind of want to do the, we're so sad. You good? Okay, good. Yes. Sorry. I am, don't know what's going on. Keep going. My parents are like sawing wood in two rooms over. So I'm I, sorry. I hear that. Oh, that's funny. Mom, you got a lot of texts. Okay. You got a lot of texts. Oh, no. Oh. Yes. Okay. I'm just making sure, like, because I am technically working and hoping yeah. that no one is looking for me because, you know, right. I, I was like, I got to go off grid. I didn't tell them what I was doing. What is your job? Are you also, are you a journalist? Still? I am. Well, yeah, kind of. Not, not full-time professionally. I'm working for a company and I usually just, cause I don't want to involve them in this stuff. I usually just say that I do work for a DC based company that is a CEO advisory firm. And I do like communications and that kind of thing. Um, they're very vague about like what they do and what they represent or whatever, but that's what I do. It's still writing, which is cool. I also do some freelance. I just did a thing for Oprah magazine, cool. um, which was cool about grief. I wrote my first, my first vegan related um, recipe for one of my friends edits a um, magazine called vegetarian journal. I said, I just did that. So I'm keep my hand in and I'm, we're optioning the book, so I'm working, I'm interviewing writers, the people that optioned it have, um, we got some writers set up to talk to and to try to get a screenplay and then a, a script and then to sell it, hopefully for um, for TV. Oh, cool. and, and I'm working on a second book, so. And I blog, nice. so I got my hands. You busy. Got, I'm very busy, got my hands and everything. Um, but yeah, so, so to say it's the whole thing about, um, being busy after, right after, you know, when you're, when you're widowed and when you're grieving is that it all gives you a chance to not think about it. And then when you have to think about it is like I said, when people say stupid crap or when people, um, I talked to a guy once at a, um, in one of like a online grief thing who talked about what he called gushers, which are the people that make it worse because they go, Oh no. Oh, it's so sad. You know? And, they put you in the incredibly inappropriate and awkward position of having to def to comfort someone else through your grief. Yes. 
Yeah. And they, once again, do not mean to. Most of the people who do this would have hid themselves in a, hit their heads in a freezer if they thought that you, that they were causing you any distress or discomfort. They just don't know what to say. Cause then you have to be like, oh, it's not that bad. Like, oh, calm down. And you're like, actually it is that bad. But also could you stop making a, a scene? And then they're like, oh, she's fine. Exactly. And they don't want to hear it though. Here's the thing. The people that knew me the best will call and say, how are you? And they didn't mean tell me you're fine so we can go on to what happened to Survivor yesterday or so I can go and tell you about what happens to my boyfriend. I don't have to feel bad about like, I have to let the widow preemptively get in her sorrow and then off to my thing. <laughs> um, they would say, how are you doing? You can talk about it or you don't have to talk about it at all. Um, one of my best friends, when he came to visit, um, we watched John Wick and like the Equalizer and stuff. I mean, we watched like action movies where people just kick stuff and that made me feel better because I felt like that because like like you didn't I said this in my Oprah magazine piece you can't like put a hit out on a heart attack you can't go avenge against a heart attack but you know John Wick who was a widower in the movie can beat the crap out of somebody and it's good and it felt good so um you know like I said he we have in the last five years oh the in the middle of it um, we were completing, hopefully at that point, we were hoping to complete soon the adoption, finalize the adoption of our son, who is a relative um, who came from within um, my family. And we had had him as a foster child since he was six months old. And he was then almost two. And so a year and a half had been the three of us hanging out, doing our thing, social work, social work visits, all this stuff. We had gotten married later in life. We got married at 38 and 39. And by the time, literally everybody died in our family. So by the time the dust cleared, we didn't get pregnant and the dust cleared. And we were like, what do we do? Cause now we were like 41 and 42. And so we started taking classes to adopt from foster care, like a child whose parental rights would already have been um, relinquished. And in the middle of this, this baby was born. He was two days old when we found out about him. And they said, what do you, what do you think? My family was like, what do you think? We were like, Oh boy. Okay. So we had to, change designations from adopting from foster care to actually being foster parents. So it took us six months to get him down and there was a whole process. And there's obviously always a chance that the birth parents, you know, would have gotten themselves together. They did not um, in time. And so in the middle of the Scott died. And so I had this moment where I was like, okay, so what do we do? I literally called the social worker he was in Maryland. We were in Florida because he was born. He and I were born. My child and I were born in the same hospital, which I thought was his son. And um, I called and I said, listen, my husband died today. Um, I need to know what to do to keep my kid. And I was like, and then I hung up and went, oh, that's not a call. You <laughs> yeah, I didn't know. I was, I, <laughs> that's dark. You know, you have no finesse. You know, I had a friend who said to me, we were supposed to, for his 45th birthday, to go down to Key West for his birthday. And so I called my friend, and she thought I was calling to confirm our trip. And I said, actually, no, the thing is, Scott died. Okay. And she was like, what? You know, once again, there's no, I have a, a, an aunt who's long since passed. He was one of my, my grandmother's aunts. So she was in her 80s when she died. I was in high school. And she was like the town crier, but in a grim way. Like there was a, a, story that and we got one of these phone calls where she called family members to say that her brother-in-law had died his name was rose and she called and she goes hello 
Rose is dead. And they're like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Can't type the line, gotta go click and a click and look what? So, and I did that to people. I rose as dead at people. And I did not mean to do that. But in that moment, you don't have any, you know, it's just once again, you just need to get it done and move on. So all that was happening, the social workers like, all right, let's do this. You know, and actually I had a visit scheduled for the day after he died. And they were like, do you want us to reschedule? I go, uh, and I go, so literally the lady comes to the house. There's all these people in the house and me and the baby come outside and I go, look, baby, baby is here. He is a baby. He is alive. He is well. Look at baby. They go, thank you. And she just took a picture and left. It was really great. Um, they weren't like going to do proof the, of life. Proof, like, you know, the, the, exactly. Cause usually they come through the house and they make sure, you know, you haven't like, you know, started, you know, renting out rooms to, clowns or anything you don't or like, like keep uh, nails on the floor yeah side up yeah and she was like listen i i get it i just i was like I know, I know, I know. so um <laughs> and that all came became a thing and so you have these plans you know it's a whole like hoary chestnut of you know life is what happens when you're busy making other plans but we have plans we have plans like the day that he died to go to a restaurant on Palm Beach that I was writing a cocktail story about because I wrote about cocktails at the time. That was super fun. And um, I didn't get a chance to go because uh, this happened. And so we had plans like to go to Key West or to what we were going for Christmas. I had already bought tickets. I had won an award for a journalism um, award at University of Maryland, which is where I, I went. And so we had already bought the tickets and reserved the room. Um, to go, actually, I think I bought my ticket. I had not yet bought his, the baby's ticket yet, which actually worked out because then I could just switch it. I switched that ticket to go see my grand, my mother and I canceled the thing and they were really nice. It was like after the funeral, they called. It's like, it was all in the same week, two weeks after. And they like recorded a thing saying, I felt so bad for these people who didn't know me. They're like, who is Leslie? And what? Oh no, her husband died. So they're like, congratulations so sorry i'm like this is weird but it was it was very very nice in a weird way but you got to keep moving and like just like the act of checking the widowed box when like literally the day before if you'd applied for something it would be married or like doing your taxes like you know final tax return you're like well this is stupid or um and just like the stuff you have to do like um he had a payment plan with the IRS for his previous year's taxes. And one of the things I'd forgotten was to tell the IRS that he had died. So um, I went to my mother's and checked my bank account and they had taken the money out. And I went, oh, okay. So I called them and I, I don't even know. I think I may have had the, um, the death certificate with me. I can't remember, but I was like, Hey, so this happened and they weren't going to give the money back. I knew they weren't. And I said, listen, can I go, I'm in Little Rock for two weeks. Can I go with the death certificate to the, um, the social security? No, no, you got to wait till you get home. So, I mean, not social security, the IRS. They said, no, you got to do it from your whatever. So I wait to go home and it takes me like, cause it's the IRS. It takes a thousand years. You, I would go like two hours before they closed and stand in line and you, cause you can't make an appointment. And you still can't get in. And literally, I was so, I can remember how sad I was. I remember in those early moments, just feel that you know that you were giving off this, like, woe is me, 
you know, cloud of rain above my head as I walk through the, you know, the streets thing. And so I had to go back two or three times. When I finally went back, I went, I said, so listen, um, not only am I obviously changing my designation, but here's his, his information. And she said, so I see that you filed married filing separately. And I said, yes, because he had owed money before. And I wanted to make sure that one of us got a refund, you know, and she looked at me like I was betraying the country. And she said, <laughs> well, well, I'm sorry to hear that. Like oh. in my quest to not pay all of our money to taxes, you know, it was so stupid. So you just, you do all these oh, things God. you have to do. Like our, we are, our cars were in each other's names. So he had a Prius cause he worked in Boca, which was like, half an hour it was like an hour round trip and I I worked down the street when I wasn't working from home and so I worked from home a couple days a week so the Kia Soul which was so cute um that he bought for me to drive was in his name because it said Soul on the seats and he thought it was really cool with my afro you know saying Soul on the back so and he drove the Prius so when he died I had to go through the whole thing where I had to give the Kia back you know and take the Prius and the Prius is still with us so we're happy about that but just all the stuff that you have to do. And it seems so unfair that you have to like talk to, to people. insurance, to people, anybody, yes. anybody that you got to deal with the insurance and you got, and there was some stuff that, I mean, every, everyone that was around me did things that I didn't have to do, you know, like drive me places and do things or online or whatever. Some things the you have to do, you have to be the one to yell at the insurance people or, or to explain to the ER that I was not paying for the visit in which he died. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm not. And they never came after me. I said, you didn't do a good job. Then did you? <laughs> so that's like, what, that, Anita was like that. She's like, I don't want to pay the ambulance bill. You guys sucked. Yeah. I was so mad. I'm like, you transported him two and a half blocks and you didn't even save his life. So why am I paying you money? And then I called to pay them money. And they're like, this is going to be a $3 convenience charge. And I just hung up the phone. I was like, uh, I don't know why I'm paying you a convenience charge for me paying you thousands of dollars to not save my husband. It made me mad. It just, it was so like, cause the insurance, oh, it was so crazy. Cause they go, <laughs> they gave me this bill and they say, um, here's the bill. And it was like crazy amount of money. And I said, we have insurance. And they go, you didn't give us your insurance. I said, well, I was kind of losing my husband at the time. I did not think to look for my insurance card as one does. Yeah. And it's like, oh, it's like, and, and the bill came in his name. So I was like, you should know he died, right? So sending the bill to him, I could have just ripped it up. So, well, he's not here to get this, obviously. There's like a whole thing about that. Like in some of the widow groups I belong to, people are always like, do I have to pay my husband's medical bills or can I just tell him to shove it? And I don't ever know the answer. I think it's probably different from state to state. Yes. But yeah, there's a lot of like, it came to him. I'm not him. I know. There was a, him, but then they it. come after you. Yeah. Uh, that's why I'm always just pay it. I think I gave them a little, but it was, I did whatever. I did not, we negotiated. I did not give them oh. everything I asked for. Cause I was like, I'm not doing this. I'm not, this is stupid. And there was like a couple things I just didn't pay. Um, or like, you know, you had to call Macy's and say he will not be paying his bill this month because you know, he is, he's dead, you know, so sorry. Um, and also you had to make sure, cause I had a Macy's card too. Now I can't even remember what the deal was. If I, I think I was afraid that 
they would figure out we were married and go like combine your totals, combine our totals or whatever. And I'm like, we had different last names. You can't give me. You guys that. really liked Macy's. We like Macy's an awful lot. Um, you know, they, it was down the street. You know, they had stuff. And honestly, well, you know, as a, I got married late, so I it was convenient since I was already there. If I needed to go buy him some stuff, it's sort of the reverse. It's like I'm buying myself something; I should buy him something too. And I loved, you know, picking out shirts and that kind of thing. And then I remember when he died, going, "Oh, I guess I don't need to go by the men's shirt department anymore." You know, I yeah. guess I don't need to buy underwear because that was like always on your thing. You like you get underwear, you make appointments, and go. And I felt like should I call the girls at Sports Clips? and tell them that he, I mean, just stuff like, I mean, of course not, of course not. But he used to call him. I didn't know this girl's name. And I kept thinking, are they going to wonder where he was? Are they going to wonder, wonder if wonder? he betrayed them and started and going went, And went to somewhere the else. Yeah. I, I remember once being in the mall, the place he used to buy, he was a huge Ravens and uh, Orioles fan. He used to buy a lot of stuff at the sports store in the mall near us and I was in the mall with my son and I went in and said hi and they said you're you're married to the guy and I said yeah and he passed away they go we wondered where he was Aww. I know I know they go we remember that guy he, the only guy that bought Orioles stuff <laughs> the only one who liked you know, Orioles okay I have questions Leslie yes so when when you're taught when this happened you were not living in Baltimore am I no, we were, living you were in, in, in Florida, Florida. Yeah. Okay. When did you move back to Baltimore? July. Oh, so this just July. barely. Just like a couple months ago. We, okay. the house that I'm in right now with the uh, painting of Cal Ripken, uh, famous Baltimore yes. Oriole yes. behind me. Okay. And, and Duran Duran, because this was from the reunion tour in 2005. When we got married in, 2000, in 2010, the first year anniversary is paper. So he bought me this because he was hilarious. And yes, yeah, yeah. so... Um, yeah, so we've been back and it was a bunch of reasons. I mean, the older I got and the older my mom got, my mom like said, moved in with us. She was going to move to Florida, just kind of, she's also widowed. Um, my dad died in 2012 and she was going to come and live her widowed life in Florida and be cool and stuff. And then Scott died like three weeks before she was supposed to move. And I was like, just move in with us. And then I thought this could have been a horrible suggestion that I would live to regret. And it has not, it has been amazing. Oh, she, she didn't think she was going to be co-parenting a toddler in her sixties. I mean, nobody does. And she's like, okay, let's do it. So um, my grandma is still hanging out. I'm in Prince George's County, which is near, to um dc and the longer we were in florida the more anxious my mother got that she really wanted to be near my grandma and yeah. my tw my twin sister and her family live in annapolis which is about 40 minutes from here and we looked around and i guess last christmas i started looking didn't know what to do exactly didn't have a job it's like well it's just i one of my sister's friends is a realtor I was like let's just start looking and then my book came out in march and i had this is my book and I had this whole big thing where like, oh, the book will do great. I was supposed to do a bunch of conferences. I had like a small tour. I was supposed to be on the Today Show. I was like, I was like supposed to. I was like, this is going to be really great. I'd started, I'd bought tickets to go to like a, um, I was supposed to go to um, New Orleans and do a book signing. I had all this stuff planned and I like supposed to go which is now down the street from us to the um, Edgar Allan Poe house and museum and read on mother's day. And, 
you know, I had one of my girlfriends from high school was going to come and she does really great makeup and I hooked her up. She was going to hook me up with makeup and stuff and all that didn't happen. So I was like, Oh, the book will do really well. And I'll, I'll have a lot more money and freelance and stuff. And it'll be fabulous. And then I'll have a lot of money and I'll move. And none of that happened. So we decided to move anyway, because the newspaper industry being what it well, so many reasons, newspapers being what they are, we were bought by a company that started furloughing us and we were furloughed unpaid for a week, once a month. So after the third, I was like, this isn't going to get any better. And so there's no solid reason to, to stay here. It's not like I'm leaving a job that has prospects for the next five years or whatever. We didn't know. And I was getting a reduced salary and I was like, this is stupid. So, um, I talked to my financial advisor. We had gone on what I thought was a one or two day staycation on the beach nearest like 20 minutes away in Singer Island. And I was like, we just stayed the whole week. We like, we had a vacation. And I said, I called him and said, listen, um, would you be mad at me if I took money out of my 401k and bought a house in Baltimore? And he said, nope, <laughs> I would not. He was like, you have very good reasons. This is not a tenable situation. You have plans, you're applying for things. I've been applying for a while. And then the job that I have now, I had started applying for before I left. And I had actually one of my next, my last, next to last interview on the train. We took the auto train up when we moved. We just packed, we got a mover, packed most of our stuff, put some stuff in some cars, my mom and I, and splurged on one of those um, compartments, like the family, the room. Oh, it was really great. I mean, it's tiny, but it's yours. And you didn't have to wear a mask for 12 hours because you're in there and they bring you food. It's really cool. And so I was interviewing literally on the train on the way up. And so I had convinced my job in Florida to let me extend to the end of August. And I didn't need it. I got a job. I got confirmed a week later as my job. So I only stayed like three more weeks and I started. Um, so it happened really, really fast. I was starting a new job three weeks after I moved here and we closed at our house uh, at the end of August. I have a question. Yes. Now going back to, oh my gosh, of course, when I ask the question, they're like sawing. sawing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's happening. That's Ugh. funny. So uh, you mentioned that you have a twin sister. I do. My question is, do you guys have the twin connection thing where you can feel each other's stuff? And if so, how did the death impact her and could she tell? Well, here's what's funny. I we did we do not have, I believe, like a psychic thing. I mean, the only time I ever remember something like that happened is that we were we went to different colleges and there was like a week that I I since like I needed to call her and I put it off and put it off. I was studying, I was studying. Finally, I called her. I think I started having this feeling like a Tuesday. And I finally called by Friday. And her roommate goes, oh, my gosh, she's been sick in bed with a fever since Tuesday. Now, of course, I'm a bad twin. I'm a bad psychic twin because I didn't actually call her the day that I knew that something was wrong because I suck. Um, also, that, was, <laughs> we all that was also the 90s where there were no cell phones and you, you couldn't afford to call anybody long distance. And you had to, like, it was a whole thing. So I, I still sucked. But, um her, it was more like, I, my feeling has always been because we were raised by the same parents. We don't have any other siblings. It's just us. Same parents at the same time, at the same age. You like, you have like siblings, you're like 10 years apart. You get like different parts of your parents because they're 28 at this time, they're 35 at this time, you moved around, whatever. We had the same upbringing at the same time, same parents, same age, whatever. So I think that even though we were not exactly alike personality wise, we had the same um, experiences. You know, we lived in the same place. Our 
like I said, our parental thing was the same. We learned to cheat horribly at things like Pictionary because um, we had the same reference. We would like look, we were no longer allowed to be on the same team. We'd go, Uncle Andre, and we'd go, Beach Boys, because he looks like a short black version of one of the guys from the Beach Boys. So um, it's that kind of thing. And that was literally one of our things where our friends were like, nope, no more, none of you on the team ever again. But when my husband died, um, and I, she will not tell me exactly, I've asked her not to tell me exactly what I said when I called, because I know it was horrible and it hurt her. They were close. And I called. And so she turned to her husband and said, I got to go. And she bought a plane ticket and she was, I think he, we probably got back to the house around like six or seven from the ER. And she was in my living room from Baltimore at 11. You know, she just showed up and she actually went into her own grief counseling after he died because we had had such a, such so many years of, like I said, my dad and my grandfather and my uncle was all backed back to back. And she was like, no, I can't do something. And it was very prescient of her to, to do that, um, to know that she needed that um, as, as well. Um, you know, she's, she's smart like that. Um, she is one of the reasons that I wanted to move here. Because um, she's, I mean, I had an incredible support system, both in Maryland and in Florida and places in between people just flew in to take care of me. But she's, you always need a person that you don't have to explain yourself to you know, that you can just be sad and they're not going to bother you because they're sad too. And, um, and I had a, a couple friends like that in Florida, like my friend Libby would, um, call and say, can you work from my house? And we would like, um, I can say this now, I would perhaps have a cocktail as I was working at like three o'clock in the afternoon, <laughs> just whatever. I don't work there anymore. Um, and I got everything done and we would like, I would write while we were watching like little women or something. You know, I mean, we would do like stuff and just to be, or she would silently work over there and I'd suddenly work over here. I just need to be around people. Um, like I said, my, my sister has just been, she has an eight year old. My son is seven. Her son is eight and a half. Um, and they're close unless they're not, you know, they're like brothers. So either they love each other so much or pummeling each other. Yes. I hate you go yeah. away. So, um, and it's really fun to see. You never know what you're going to get at any particular um time but yeah no she's been amazing like my, my i felt not bad but like i'm sure you've had the situation where you don't want to make people feel bad but like the first time you're with a group where you're with a couple that you used to be couple friends with with your partner and you feel like the third wheel and for like a flash of a second you hate everyone who was happy you know because how dare they how dare they? Um, and I, I had this, my sister and her husband and myself and I, and one of my best friends and I, my best friend that we grew up with all got married the same year. And I got married first, then Nikki, and then my sister. So like three years after Scott died, we were at um, three years, two years, two years. We, it, I had broken up with someone who was an idiot, who was idiotic. So I'm like alone again, naturally. And we're having uh, New Year's at my sister's. And it's the six of us, supposed to be the six of us, but now it's just five of us celebrating New Year's. And the only person that I have to kiss is my baby. And I was like, one moment, please. And I went into the 
the guest room and sobbed. Like, I hate this. I hate that I hate this. I hate that I'm mad at them for having living partners. I hate that I've ins probably insulted my child because <laughs> he's like, well, fine then. You know, um, just hated all of it. And you, in your feelings, you have the whole thing where you don't want, once you don't want to make anybody feel bad, you don't want to say anything to anybody. Um, cause you know, yeah, you don't want to harsh their situation if you can help it. But then it just feels like a bigger burden. I'm going to ask you a question and it might be the world's dumbest question. And you might think that I'm a crazy person, but because of your situation where you're fostering Mm -hmm. this and he, you said he was two when your husband died yes almost two. yeah yeah and you'd had him for about a year and a half right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you've been fostering him did it ever cross your mind no like okay you know the question no. like Never. he was because, my child why would I it was okay, like because let me let me let me just say this because we've talked to people who were maybe pregnant at the time oh wow. and they feel like Never mind. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can't oh, do this wow. by myself. I want to, you know, can I give this back? So I just wondered <laughs> if there might be the same kind of feeling. Like, I can't do this by myself. And there might, like, it's a little bit different than having, yeah, you know, a biological child. So I just, well, I just wondered no. if that ever... No. Okay. No, because and I he said was it my, might be a really stupid question. No, it's not. A, no, and you're not the first person to ask that question. You know, but no, because he was my child, and because how horrible would you be? First of all, because he was my child, and because Scott loved this baby so much, how could I? I mean, what would I possibly do? There was no one to give him back to. You can't like give him back to the state because then you're a horrible person. And then, <laughs> and he was a member of my family. My family had been like, yeah. you're doing what? And also he was my child. And yeah. I would, could not have thought of any way to be haunted more than to try to attempt not to finish the adoption of this child. Yeah. I mean, it was, we were going through it. it. To me, it became more of a, um, an imperative to do this yeah, because I was doing it, not just for me, I was doing it for Scott as well. Yeah. And it seems like just from hearing your story, and maybe this isn't how it actually happened in real time, but that was one of the first things you thought, like, how was, do I make sure this doesn't get undone? You know, it it was it opposite pretty, way. I think I called from the ER. Yeah. I, I like think, don't take him away because yes, our situation this is, has Yes, exactly. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. No. And it was just like, I became, and I don't know how old you guys are, so I don't know if you're going to get all of my Gen X, <laughs> early early 80s pop culture references, but um, I we'll sense see. you're younger. You're, I'm, huh? 30, I'm 38. Also, you probably will. So there's that scene, and I'm 49, so maybe, well, you probably, okay, Terms of Endearment, where, yeah. okay, the give my daughter the shot scene, where, you know, Shirley McLean is like, she's just, she knows it's not, it's too soon for Deborah Winger to get her morphine, but she's in pain and her child is in pain. And she's like basically going to beat this nurse up if she doesn't give her that shot. And I felt that way. I felt like I don't care what I have to do or who I have, who I have to beat up or whatever, this is going to happen. And you guys are going to make this happen because this is, this is what I need to do. And I probably wasn't always super nice about it. I tried to be, and I think that, I mean, social workers deal with nothing but distraught people all day long. So it was not the first distraught person for whatever reason they had dealt with. So it was not a shock to them, you know, and they were very wonderful about it. And people in both states were super cool about it. Um, yeah, no. And like I said, that, that, that's not, it's not a bad question to ask. It's just that my question, my answer is always never a thought. Absolutely not. How distressing would that be? Like, I'm going back to me, you sure. know, when my husband died, and I wasn't like, 
I need to keep my kids. You know what I'm saying? Yes, like that course, wasn't even anything that I had to deal with. And I think it would be really distressing if you did go to that place. Like, oh crap. Okay. How do I make sure that we stay together as a family? And that would once, be once again, here is, I can't remember. This was probably in the nineties. There was this very, very maudlin, over melodramatic Hallmark movie with Andrew McCarthy, where he was, he played this guy, he and his wife were adopting a child from China and then the wife died. Oh yes. And so he has to decide, and I cannot remember, it's been so long since I've seen this movie, whether the baby was already there with them or what happened, but where he had to, so then he has a single, because he's single dad. So that's the rub, you know, to finish this adoption or whatever. It was called like a home for Amy. It was one of those things where you go, you know, you haven't even, it hasn't even come on yet. You're like, okay, Andrew McCarthy, don't make me cry. You know, it's awful, <laughs> awful, awful. But yeah, so there are precedent. I mean, I think it would be hard, would have been harder 25 years ago, maybe. And it certainly might've been harder if I was a dude, but not anymore. I don't, I think there, there's so many single men and men who are partnered with each other who legally, without having to do the shenanigans that, you know, homophobic states used to make you jump through. Like I knew people in Florida in the last 20 years who before it was legal, the, there was a woman who her partner had to pretend not to live there. She moved out of the house for like a day or whenever the social worker would come and she removed all the photos and said, Oh, I'm just a single woman adopting. Um, you know, and then surprise, you know, and then they were then able to legally do that. But, um, we didn't have to do any of that. And I just kept thinking that I could not do this. I, I could not have lost that, um, as lost him as well. So I just wanted to make sure they're like, and she said, listen, she goes in foster care adoptions, particularly in family adoptions, grandmothers and aunts and sisters adopt all of the time, married or not. It's not a problem. Don't even worry about it. I was like, so yeah. Good. Okay. So I have another question for you. Yes. We're yes. hopping all over the board. We're good. So when your husband collapsed, did you know immediately what was happening? And did you have to no. like give him CPR? Or, I, I did, you... did. I didn't know because, okay. So I can say this now that my child has left the room. We were making out and yeah. <laughs> it was cool. Cause he was like, you want to fool around? I said, sure. And nothing like, you know, beyond the pale it happened, but we were just kissing and whatever. And he said, something's wrong. And I went, my reaction is what? <laughs> Cause it's like, you woke me up. <laughs> I thought this was going someplace. And then I felt horribly crappy because I turned on the light and his head is shaking and I don't know what's going on. I'm like, what's happening? What's happening? And he collapsed on the bed. I think he died then. I don't know. They, they tell you like when they pronounce them. So I don't know, but yeah, I tried to do CPR. I tried to, I thought he had just collapsed. He just passed out or something. Maybe he had a stroke. I didn't know. So, you know, the whole thing, well, once again, you don't know how long it takes, but you call 911 and it seems like it's taken forever, you know, and I'm standing there in a Ravens jersey and a pair of shorts on the driveway and it's like three o'clock in the morning and I'm talking to my mother. I'm like, something bad happened. I don't know what's happening. And so they get there and once again, they worked really hard. They, they, the fire rescue people could not have been more amazing. And um, the baby slept through the whole thing, which was amazing as well. Because that would have been one more thing I had to deal with. 
you know, that was one merciful thing. And I, they come out and they say, listen, he doesn't have any electrical activity. And my, they, these are words. I'm like, what is that? What? Oh, crap. Like you might, we're going to take him to the hospital, which, call someone. They could tell I was in shock. Call someone, do not drive. Call someone to, dr you need two people. One to drive you, one to watch your baby. And I went, what? Okay. So I called one of my friends who was married at the time and I kept calling her and the phone kept ringing, but she didn't answer because her, her boss had butt dialed her earlier in the evening and she thought it was just him butt dialing her again. So finally I had to call her husband and, and I never called him. He knew something was up because I called him and he said, Lauren, someone's trying to call us because now my phone's ringing. And so she came over, he came, actually, I don't say I didn't like him because, yeah, but he came over and watched the baby along with one of my friends who was my neighbor who I was supposed to go walking with. Same thing. I called and said, Hey, listen, we can't go walking because Scott died. She goes, what? And she was like, and I didn't remember making that phone call at all. I, in my brain, she just materialized at my house. And she goes, no, <laughs> you called me. <laughs> it said that happened. So I came over and I was like, Oh, okay. I guess I did over my head no memory so um yeah and there's a there's a horrible thing where you have the guilt where you go could i have done something could i have saved him they said no you could not have <laughs> it was a massive heart attack you, no nothing you could do and then you go into where you're mad at him because why did you eat that way and why didn't you take this seriously and you think like at that age you're like you'll have like a heart attack and it'll be scary. And then you'll like drop a hundred pounds. I'm going to marathon and become a vegan and do yoga every day and that kind of thing, you know? And so that didn't happen. He didn't get a warning shot. It was one and done. I was at the point where I would see that there was this commercial. I cannot remember what the name of the drug is. It was for people who have heart disease and they, it was, they used the tune from Annie tomorrow from Annie. And I've, and hated those people because how dare they how dare they be alive and they're like tomorrow tomorrow I'm like i hate you you suck my husband died and these fictional people on this commercial didn't <laughs> yeah i hated i hated that <laughs> i i did i like hated anything where you would be like you know give to the american heart association no you guys suck and then once again none of this is rational and my mother who was amazing having been widowed and also being a psych nurse and a social worker understood that I was going through something. So she never said, Leslie, don't yell at those people on television. She was like, <laughs> and she was like, do your process. That was my process. I use, I yeah. still sometimes, so some of my patients will be absolute disasters. And I just think to myself, <laughs> how are you still alive? Oh, they're yes. on like dialysis and a million pills and they, you know, have all of these problems. And I'm like, how is your body still like, I mean, it's like a bunch of marshmallows held together with some yes. duct tape and you're still alive. <laughs> duct tape. And, and you move it any one way too suddenly and the duct tape will go and all the marshmallows will fall. Absolutely. But they're still alive. And they're still alive. And you, and you go, how? Yes. I knew people who had had cancer for years, still kicking. And I never would have said, I will choose and you should be dead and my husband not. No, but you just go, how did that happen? I don't, I don't get it. Um, it's unfair. And you, that was, it's one of those things I've talked to other widows about this, that when the pandemic started, people are freaking out and all the widows I know were like, okay. Yes. <laughs> They're like, 
I know, right? It's so true. We're like, what is wrong with you? It's gonna be fine. You're yeah, gonna, you, gonna, you will get through this. It's like, no, it sucks. Totally. But, but you're like, you've been through, I mean, it's like unexpected thing that happened that changed your life. Check. Having to rebuild your life in a way you didn't want to. Check. You know, so you're like, okay. All right. And so I, yeah, I, I feel like, you know, we got this. And I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I have been so much more in demand outside of my book with people talking about grief as a general topic because grief is something that the entire world is going through right now. And um, it's so much more relatable to people, sadly. But I think, yeah, <laughs> like people I know from like Camp Widow were like, at first it was supposed to be two weeks after the pandemic started and they had to cancel because at first we were like, ah, we can do this. <laughs> it's fine. It's a bunch of widows. We can just order in. We don't care. We're like, okay, we can't. Fine. Fine. Yeah. Leslie, tell us more about your book. Black Widow, A Sad, Funny Journey Through Grief for People Who Normally Avoid Books with Words Like Journey in the title. Um, <laughs> which is my kind of book. Yes, you know, and it's, there is nothing wrong with it ever gets you through. If what gets you through are very serious, spiritual, you know, things that involve like steps and, and stages. And, you know, I used to say, you know, pink covered books that you would find at a Christian bookstore with butterflies and coffee cups on them. Yeah. Like muted colored books. Yes. If that's for you, then that's for you. If, if, if you want to be told immediately that everything's going to be okay and you need it, need to go to hopeful immediately. Yes, that's great. That's not where I was. That's not what I wanted. That wasn't helpful to me. I wanted to read something that was about how your life is a mess and you and that you were not going to be expected to not be a mess at anyone else's timeline or stage that you didn't owe anybody your martyrdom or your stoic stoicism that you could you if at any moment you got to not know what the hell was happening in your life it is this and that's what i wanted to read about i wanted to read about people who weren't trying to rush you to the end where you felt good about yourself or where you were healing because it's so many movies i wrote about pop culture for almost 30 years that's why i use so many references but like these hallmark movies where like the girl from new york moves to wisconsin or whatever because it's apple valley season and she's going and she meets the carpenter who's widowed and he's sad he's sad he's such a widower and it's like ah and they fall in love at the end and the the dead wife is like the plot device to make him extra sad and it's really about her healing and now she understands now that jake the carpenter needs to find new love yeah you know <laughs> so hallmark oh. and so, you know you know that stuff and so and that's how widowhood is so often presented in that that widowhood is an unfortunate thing in your backstory that you have to get over so you can be happy again it's not the the defining fact of your life and your partner who died is not a starter kit or an ancient memory or just like sea foam and the little mermaid you know he or she is your your life partner and any life that you have someone said to me the other day that when they got remarried they said that their late husband had to be the basis of any story that went through because that's why they were where they were at that yeah, moment that's the foundation of the story that's the foundation of the yeah, story you can't just get rid of it you can't get rid of it so what i wrote about was the first year of my widowhood which started with literally being in the graveyard trying to figure out where to bury him 
and being told about packages. Like I was going on vacation. Like this is yeah. a package. And the they, bronze I'm, package. Yes. The steel package. It's like, what are we doing? Aluminum package. Did, did they try to sell you weather, weatherproofing? That was where I was like, and I was like, you know what? And I said to the very nice guy, I was like, not for nothing, but this is cruel. I said, because what you're doing is there's no, unless there's an autopsy or you're on Dateline and they're going to have to like open the casket to exhume them because you killed them. No one's ever opening this box again. There's no, you're selling them weatherproofing because you're still, they're still thinking this is my grandmother. This is my husband. This is my yeah. wife. And they don't body. want the, yes, yeah, their body. And they want the elements to get to them. And you're going to, so the, and, and who, who's, who's to prove they ever, ever really weatherproof the box anyway? Yeah. How would you know? Yeah. That's what my dad said. He's like, it, it's a sham. It's not even really weatherproof. It's the water's still going to get in there. Just buy the cheaper, cheaper, whatever. And I was like, okay. Thank, thank you, dad. And we went with yeah. the, with the pine box. Cause that's what he would have wanted. Cause he was Jewish. And I went with his cousin, his, the cousin who did the um, Jefferson song, the fast and furious song with me with a bunch of other friends and family to go to the, we were like, ah, we showed up, my mother and my sister and his cousins who were Jewish, my friend Shauna, who's Jewish. And so I was like, I need people to tell me what's appropriate. I obviously have, I never converted. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't want to do the wrong thing. I don't want all the Jewish relatives to go, Oh, what did she do? So we go in and I was like, this is a pine box. I said, or this is the whatever 3000, which is like, you know, beautiful bronze with the, uh, brass, you know, handles, and his cousin goes, that was really nice, and we're going, no. He's like, because it was really expensive, of course, and I'm like, pine box. He goes, that was really pretty. It looks like a Cadillac. No. <laughs> they no. do. They do kind of look like cars, and they're they kind do, of and they're, be they're like beautiful cars. and shiny, and then they go in the ground forever, and you'll never open it again, and yeah. there's $5,000 in the ground. Why are we doing that? I think the pine box was like seven fifty. Have like, you listened to Michelle Obama's book, The no, Book Becoming? No. So, read it. They talk about getting in a fight over the casket for her dad. And it was like, we need to buy the most expensive one. And then the other family member's like, no, we don't. They wouldn't want us to go bankrupt over, you know, this casket. They're dead, you know, back and forth. But this is how we show them that we love him. And yeah, it's just a hard time. And I feel like they do kind of take advantage of you wanting to show your family member that you love them by buying the waterproofing. Yes. Obviously, you don't love them if you let them get wet. Or right? the wolf statue howling at the moon. What? You should have sprung for that, Mel. Oh, I man. still think so. So, Leslie, so we both had the same funeral home for our husbands. And our husbands died, like, what, a year? Uh, not a 10 bit. months apart or something. So we've talked. Um, so, anyway, this particular mortuary has these statues that you can put in the casket and they're the tackiest Why? things ever it's like here's the statue of an american eagle with the flag <laughs> flying in the wind and the wind howling at the moon i don't know but to show you it. that you love your spouse or yes. your person obviously but putting a statue that they can't see because they're dead yeah into the casket it's just that kind of thing so my book talks about all these things and about both what was happening with me personally and we it tells our love story about you know having gone to high school together and then meeting again 20 years later and sort of like this you know i had only dated stupid people up to then so i <laughs> it was yeah so it was scary to me that this person was very serious about me and had a job and 
you know, own a home. A normal and, person. Oh, oh, the car. And so he was a real person. And so I was like, what? It was very scary. And I kind of spent some time pushing it away. And it was like, okay, I, I give up. So uh, I can't push it away anymore. Um, and so it told our backstory. And then it told, tells like that sort of year. And then it's sort of like talking about stuff like, um, when do you date? You know, do you, I wouldn't even think about it. It's like, when do you do it? Because people are like, you should wait five years before you date again. So people are like, you should find someone to help you raise your child. I'm like, what are you doing? And I wrote about, because the pop culture thing about um, movies that he had ruined and things he had ruined for me. Like he ruined our wedding song for me. Like, you know, you can't listen to it for a while because it makes you sad because like, screw you. And like, um, <laughs> truly, um, I had seen, there were two, what movies it was? Um, oh, things that I liked and made more sense to me as a widow was um, Practical Magic, which I had never okay. really thought about as a widow movie, but it is because Sandra Bernhardt's, Sandra um, Bullock. Uh, Bullock. Bullock, yeah, Cosmona Bullock's character is widowed because she had was coming from a family that you weren't ever supposed to find love. So she basically put this, cast a spell, finds this guy, he's amazing, and he dies. And then she feels guilty that she kind of set him up for this. And then she winds up falling in love with Aiden Quinn, who's the um, police officer. And she had always said, if I fall in love, I'll be a guy with one gray, one blue eye and one green eye. Like to just be ridiculous. Like that was the spell she put and then she meets this guy. And it was beautiful. And it was basically about, and she's such a beautiful actress, just about the guilt that you feel like, did I do something to put this person in this life that got him killed? And the other one was Must Love Dogs, um, which was not a good movie, even though I love John Cusack so much. I named a cat after him once. Um, and for some reason, the cat's picture is here. This was that cat. That was Cusack. Aww. Yeah, this is Cusack. like 20 years ago, but that's my baby. Anyway, so um, her uh, Diane Lane's father is played by Christopher Plummer in the movie. And he talks about, he dates a lot because he's a good looking older guy and he's Irish and he quotes poets and he's just really great. So there's this woman he meets who's been married, divorced like three times. She's played by Stocker Channing who thinks like she's found the one. And he has to explain to her that he's not interested because he felt like he had his wife. He had the love of his life and he doesn't need to do that again. And saw it pre wedding, pre widow and thought, well, what a selfish dude. Cause poor Stocker Channing. And after I went, that's how Actually, we feel. Kate, we have talked about this on more than one occasion that all of the Netflix shows, all of the widow movies, all of the Hallmark things get it wrong. Yeah, they do. There are very few that I feel like have any sort of merit. And it's always because it's like, they just need to get you through until you find the next person. And yes. then as soon as you find the next person, then you're healed. Then you're healed. And everything can, can move forward. And we always, always, always talk about the middle. How like we focus on the, the death, we focus on the, you know, being better, but the middle is where it all happens, you know, where you're trying to figure out life. To me, there are two that have gotten it at all right. One is in this, you know, it's Hallmark, but I mean, it's uh, Netflix, um, The Lost Husband. Ooh, I haven't seen that one. It, it, it's it's pretty pretty new, and okay. The all I have to know is it's like what's her name, Leslie? Oh, God, I'm forgetting people's names. Um, it's an actress. She's been on a bunch of stuff. Um, and her the guy that she winds up kind of falling in love with is Josh Duhamel, and he's hot. He's like you know rugged, like you know rancher guy. But what the movie gets right is the movie is really about her grief. It's about that she's so 
she winds up basically losing her house because she, she can't bring herself to do anything and she's a mess. So she and her kids move in with her aunt and there's a story that's out, you know, in the woods, like in the country someplace. And she's telling herself it's temporary. And there's a, you should see, there's a reason that her aunt has invited her there and she doesn't know what that is, but, and it's, it's, it's about everything you deal with. It's not just about, and now I have to find some new, it's about, what was my relationship with my mother and why don't I feel supported by her? And why did I feel like I had to do this? And why are people in the family judging me about the choices that I'm making now that are about me? And now I've found people that I went to high school with and they never liked me. And why am I dealing with these people? And are they looking at me like I'm so sad? And what part does my guilt have to play in how I'm healing? And it's really great. And the other one is, um, the Unicorn on CBS. Oh, somebody was just telling me about that, and I haven't watched that one either. It's Mel it would is like that one. An amazing. I'm the, I'm the Unicorn Widow, Leslie. By the way, my blog That's is she calls herself. Widow. Oh, I can't wait! I, and once again, we we have to like you. Sh- you have to. We we have to like hang out more on Zoom and stuff. But um, you guys are so <laughs> great. Um, I like all the widows I meet. Honestly, I, there I have never done one of these things where I was like, I don't like her. No, it's it's just so hey. nice so you can laugh about everything and be like, oh, this is stupid. Exactly. Have you watched Jeez. Life After, Leslie? No, what is that? That's in, that's the only one that I've ever watched where I was like, yep. And it's Ricky Gervais. And he is just like, hates everything yes. and is really sad. I'm and not there's a some fan. Really, <laughs> that's his, some, I, I don't like told him. David so about You and David. Him. That you that's hilarious the same thing yeah yeah not a fan you don't have to like him it's still okay like- i would like and i've liked a couple things but i find him so incredibly insufferable as a human yeah, yeah. that and, and I'm, he might be a very nice guy but like when he goes on yeah. the golden globe and goes my job is to piss everyone off it's like yeah bro, are you in eighth grade Ugh. but he there so. was one thing in there that mel could totally relate to and that's like that the only reason he wasn't committing suicide was because he had to keep his dog alive, right? Like yes. his dog was keeping him from like killing himself. And it was like, that was a really real. No, kind of it's true. Someone not I whitewashed. Was, I was talking reality. the other day to someone who I was just telling, I was just having a bad day. And they said, you never consider killing yourself. I said, first of all, no. Second of all, who would pay for shit? Pardon me. Who would, who would, <laughs> Why would I? No, no, no. I mean, and of course it's a valid question yeah. to people, but it was not a thing. Cause I was like, yeah, I got a <laughs> stuff is the more, I just got a mortgage. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to leave that for somebody else. Hey, yes. I want to ask you more about the process of writing your book Okay, because everybody on all the widow groups we belong to or in all social media, everybody's always like, you have to write a book. And everybody's always like, I'm writing a book. And then I hear from people that there's really no appetite for a book. Like, good luck finding a publisher. Your story is really not that great. How are you even going to write a book? So when you decided to write a book, what was the reception like? Well, I, I've been a columnist for a very long time. So I knew that I was a good writer. Um, yeah, so you I, had an I, in that way. I had an in that way. And I had... I had friends who'd written books who were fairly successful. No one like said, here, here's my agent kid. They were just like, they gave me some pointers and stuff. So I knew that cathartic in a cathartic way, I needed to write this book, even if no one ever saw it. But also I felt like, let's be honest. Um, 
you're suddenly down one um, income and you're like, I'm going to keep my job, but it wouldn't be a bad idea to try to do something else. And I had, I was like, I've always wanted to write a book. Uh, my friend who is a Hollywood historian had always said to me, you'll finish the book that you have to write, that you have an imperative in your soul to finish. And I thought this is it. So having a platform of being a columnist um, so, so you, so you've already, someone already pays you to write. So even though it took me a year to find an agent, the people that were interested and eventually the agent that, um, took me, he was, he knew that as a journalist, I could write, I could, he liked my sample. He knew that that meant I knew what deadlines were. And he knew that as a columnist, I was not so attached to all of my prose that I was going to be a, a, a jerk about changing any of it because at first you go uh, nor mcinerney and i had this discussion we laugh where it's like you're like no this is the opus of my soul you may not touch a comma <laughs> yeah. but you get over that and you you kind of move on um it took me a year to find a um i guess about a year to, to find an agent it took another year to sell it um and yeah you get these questions where people go is there a a market for your book and conversely has that market been so saturated like you know vampires and you know all that other stuff that then no one wants it so i pitched it like okay i'm it's a memoir so it's just like that year like couple you know flashback but it's not like my entire life my entire life is not interesting parts of it are so it sets up who who i am but it, it had a set finite timeline mostly uh between you know Literally, the day that Scott died in 2015 was almost a year to the day that the adoption was finalized the next year. So it was like a year. Like, God wrote that. It's like, and here's your timeline. And here's your book. Um, so I was still writing it. I mean, as it happened, um, like when I first pitched it, the adoption had not yet happened. I didn't know what was going to happen. It was like, it could go either way. By the time we sold it, it had but when I was still pitching it and looking for agents and all that stuff, a lot of the stuff was still, no, I, I found my agent by then. But when I was pitching it and stuff, it was, this stuff was still sort of ongoing and I was still writing it and writing it and writing it and writing it. Um, and then there was a sense of, okay, it's a book about, it's a grief book by a black person. And there were not a lot of those at the time because most of the books by, about, by people who were black or Latina or whatever are about pain and suffering and struggle and racism and whatever. They're not about I'm black and a widow or I'm black and a newlywed or I'm black and I bought a house in Tuscany or whatever it is. It's like, and I'm black. So I was like, we do all those things too. Well, I don't have a house in Tuscany that I'd like to. Um, so I was like, what about just no normal, ordinary things that of course are the experience because of who I am as a black person and I married someone who was a different race. So that had something to do with the story, you know? So when people were interested in that, I just, no one's story is the same, but my story, the way that I wrote it was not common. And then Timby Locke's book from scratch came out and she, do you know her book? Say it again. Um, Timby Locke is the, the um, author's name is from scratch. Her book actually is going to be a Netflix, uh, limited series starring um zoe saldana uh produced oh. by by reese witherspoon um and she's also african-american but she's very pretty and like 
I mean, I'm cute, but she was like an actor and like her husband was this Italian guy who was a chef that she met when she was studying abroad in college. And then they moved to LA and he, you know, had some success. And then when he died, you know, it becomes sort of a travelogue because she takes her child back to young child back to Italy to reconnect with his family who was not super fond of her at first. Ooh. And um, so it's like eat, pray, love with grief, you know, yeah. and it's beautiful and it's lovely. And my book is like, we got a little rock. I mean, that's like the <laughs> furthest that we go. It's not like super travely or whatever. And I talk about like drinking and like being bleary and like buying stuff in the middle of the night I don't need. And the convenience know, store sake. <laughs> yes. All that stuff, you know? So um, I think that was interesting. Also, it was funny. I, that's the thing that pitched it. And I, cause people, some people were like, ugh, grief. Yeah. No. And that's some people were like a funny book about grief. Ugh. Cause it's like, is it going to try too hard? Is it going to be like, you know, slipping into the casket on a banana peel? Is it going to be like yeah. Tom Perry thing where everyone's like, Chow! no, it wasn't any of that. It was just funny. Cause I process through humor. That's, as you can tell, yeah. that's, that's funny is my operating system. And they're the, the absurd things like the wolf statue, the absurd things that happen in the middle of the worst thing that's ever happened to you. And you know, some people would note them and say, that's just another awful thing, but you, you laugh at it because it's stupid and it's, yeah. and it's sad and you shouldn't be there. You shouldn't ever have to do this, but it's funny because it's so absurd. Like, yeah the super wacky yes it's wacky and so i i write from that perspective and i i the reviews that i've gotten have talked about that there are a couple of people like i read someone gave my audiobook three stars because they didn't like my voice which i thought was hilarious oh my gosh people say the weirdest things for the weirdest reasons i know and one person gave it four it's mostly gotten five stars one person only gave it four because they didn't like that there was no epilogue i'm like Yes. I want to know what she was doing, what she was doing now. Yeah. I'm so excited that it has an audio book because I cannot sit down and like read a book right now, but I can listen to books. So I can listen to your book and and I'll probably be able to do that. That's yeah. And it's too bad because your voice is super annoying. Uh, (laughs) Just kidding. I'm excited to to read and or listen to it. So where would we find this? And where can we tell our listeners to find this? Anywhere. Um, Amazon. Um, if you go on my, I was, it was published by uh, Little Brown, the publisher. So if you go um, and like they have the many ways you can buy it, you can buy it on Amazon. You can go to bookshop.com, which is bookshop.org, excuse me, which is a independent bookseller. I prefer that. Is that where you, the author, get the most money? Um, I think probably. Um, I, mean, I, I, I honestly, you could probably get them cheaper because I bought a box because I several boxes. I was supposed to go on tour and sell them there, and then I didn't. So I was literally selling them out of my house, <laughs> like you know. But yeah, so but yeah, no support the bookstores. Um, any bookstore, if there's a local bookstore near you, you can call them and order it, and they can find it and order it to you, and they get the the credit for it. So Leslie, I think this is so funny because you are the book version of us. Because we have so many people who, when they start listening to us, they have an expectation of what it's going to be like. A widow podcast is going to be sad and it's going to be just like crying and talking about how terrible our lives are. Although we did get one review that said that's all we did. And we were like, what? You have not listened to us very much. Anyway, but we are like, we feel the same way. It's like we are being very real about grief, but grief is sometimes kind of entertaining and funny. And there's so many ridiculous things 
that happen in this process. And so we like to say that we're like a surprisingly funny and a surprisingly entertaining podcast. About it is entertaining. And like what you said um, about um, Melanie, you talked about how you can talk, you can talk, well, both of you say you can talk about the mess up things that happen because you would get it. We're in that bubble. It's like that line from the breakfast club. It's, it's social, it's pathetic and sad, but social, you know, that's, <laughs> yes. you know, that's, that's how we are. And because we get it. So anytime there's a bunch of grief people or widows, whatever you sit around and you just, you, you can talk about the thing or you can talk about nothing, but it's not that point where you feel weird. The first time I ever went to a widow's conference, I felt Here's another pop culture reference. Like the girl, the girl, the bee girl in the Blind Melon video in No Rain, you know, where she's dancing around and everyone thinks she's weird because she's dressed like a bee. And then she finds the people who are all dressed like bees and she can be happy because she found her bee people. And finding other widows is like that because oh, yes. no one cares about you being a bee because they're all bees too. They don't think it's weird. They can go straight to the joy of being a bee because they don't have to get past where you would be. And Ooh, I love that. Yes. Well, I think that we need to hang out some more. And also, Leslie, it's so funny. Um, there are a lot of parts of your story that seem really similar to mine. For example, my dead person's name is Scott. No. So you're like the day that Scott died, I'm like, that's in my vocabulary. Uh. And so yeah. Anyway, and also like dating all these terrible people and then you meet this guy that's amazing and you're like, oh no, what's going to happen to him? Then he dies. And then he dies. So and you're like, it's like, great. that's very on brand for my life. Thank yeah. you very much. And you feel like, okay. And you have a moment where you go, maybe I'll never find anyone because maybe I got my person because I won't be stingy. The universe gave me a person and some people never find their person. So maybe I only got to have them for six years. It's just super, nobody wants that in their Hallmark story because- right. The hot we say we're gonna, I'm we're gonna the, be a lifetime movie, not a yes, movie. We're definitely a lifetime movie. It, and it, I am on the Golden Girl train right now at there 38. You go. I've uh, been waiting for this moment since I was five years old. Great, great. <laughs> tired. Oh, Leslie, I will ask, I would love to ask you the most important question of yes. life. Favorite cheese? Cheese. Well, we talked about this. I am now a vegan, which is disappointing in many ways, but um, I became, although I will be honest, I am not so much vegan strictly now because I moved back to Maryland and because I'm vegan, but I eat crabs. Um, so it's not the same thing. But um, I know after I stopped eating dairy and stuff, I realized that my body doesn't really like dairy, which was very disappointing to me because I used to say that cheese was my boyfriend. We say that too. Yes. We are the same people on um, uh, cheese is the best. And I, I, I was a, when I lived in York, Pennsylvania 20 years ago, I used to go to the farmer's market and I would go to the cheesemonger and buy the really expensive, too expensive for like a 29 year old, you know, who has nothing, but I wanted to anyway. And the, the, the really good Parmesan Reggiano and I couldn't buy a lot of it, but you bought enough that you could just go and I put it in everything. I, you know, I, I just, you would melt it and you would like, put it on top of the shredded and like, uh, it just eat it. I would buy like a big loaf of bread that would be frozen, like a big baguette. And you go with the baguette and the butter and the cheese. And like, and this is me carving out, you know, cause I'm 30 and what's a metabolism, you know? Um, <laughs> uh -huh. I feel like you need to go back to your first love of the Parmesan. Oh my god, it's so good. Cheese. There are some very good vegan cheeses. Not most of them suck, but and I okay. have a book. I was gonna actually, ask that. 
there are some good pecan cheese. There's a, and I, I sent you the thing, it's called Mikanos or something that has some very good spreadables. I haven't had their, apparent their mozzarella is supposed to be good. Mozzarella. Um, and, and I have a book, a friend of mine wrote a book called Vegan Cheese. And I have not yet made, I do, I do make like, it's called, it's cashew cheese, basically. It's cashew cream. Yes. It's pretty good. You know, we, we do it for like, um, I, I've done it for like casseroles or like, um, it's, it's really good, like spread on stuff, you know? So yes, but I do love cheese. Um, I have friends who have lactose issues, like a friend who went to Italy with her cousin. She's like, I'm just going to eat cheese. I'm sorry. And she brought all her pills with her and stuff and said, I'll deal with the consequences later, but I'm in Italy. I must eat cheese. So I feel that you gotta, you gotta do what you gotta do. That's, you do. I mean, that's what you, you gotta do. do. Leslie, you're amazing. Thank you. David told me, he said, you're going to love these girls. Cause he read my book. So he knows I'm nuts. And he was like, <laughs> and, and then he was like, you're going to love these girls they are funny. <laughs> and, and I went and I listened to your interview with him and I was yeah. like, Oh, they're great. And I, so I knew that this was not going to be once again, tell oh me God. of the pain and the, <laughs> so boring. Nobody wants that. Okay. But you guys are amazing. We've been joking that if, um, I, if I flee to Australia to go hang out with some of our widow friends that have baby kangaroos at their house no. that we need another podcast host so maybe you could be the candidate to replace me I wait, if, if you do, you but, but here's the thing but you could you know you could do that i know it's just a joke but when, you know wouldn't it be funny though? i'm mad at her i'm like do not go to australia what is because i don't have any kids we're uh, my my scott and i were only married uh one year and 11 months no and so i have three dogs now because i'm now a dog lady but so get a kangaroo God. i know that's what i want right it wouldn't it be so fun we're we're seeing if we can do it i don't i don't even know. i know you have to do when once other countries will let us into their countries again we, yeah that's yeah um, that's we have to go on a widow retreat to australia oh my god i would love it and I, hold the baby joeys <gasps> right <laughs> i would love that so much it's like when you can laugh you know that you've earned the laughter because yes. you have been through the worst crap. Oh, you go and you get, I just like me and the sake. I'm like, I get to laugh. I get to drink the sake. I get to be a little of a mess. I get to like do the thing that, that makes might be me, a bad idea. Yeah. It might be a bad idea, but that makes me happy in this moment because everything under it is awful. And now that things are better and our life is good. And I can honestly say that I have not yet found my hot carpenter guy, but otherwise I am in a really good place. It's because and you need to go to the apple place. Yeah, the apple, apple orchard. Village. Apple or, orchard village, yes. Or yeah. your life is actually a lifetime movie and you might get murdered soon. And so I might be, be careful. I, and that could happen. It's like, she let in the wrong border. Yes. <laughs> <That'd> be nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He oh wasn't my God. really a carpenter. <laughs> Ba, 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 ba. <laughs> and, and and the friend who tells you disappears. The friend who's like, mm -hmm. I never liked that guy. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Missing, missing person. Oh my goodness. Okay. I love that. And once again, the fact that we think this is hilarious, the people, one of them listening to this probably is like us. So they're like, okay. But yeah, they're, okay like, they're joking about being murdered in Lifetime movies. Yes, we are. <laughs> yeah. It's just that one guy who gave us that bad review, but I don't think he listens anymore. Or whoever it was yeah <laughs> so weird like you guys aren't funny anyway yes, <laughs> yes we are you're not funny 
Yeah. You're not funny. Yeah. You need exactly. to go you need to go take a look at your inner soul and it's just a reflection of you and your insides and we're having fun go laughing. think about your life now yeah. and laughing at you and making a whole entire episode devoted to how stupid you are for judging, <laughs> judging. a widow's grief on a podcast I, I, it's like people i hate her voice it's like but you bought an audible having no idea what i sounded like and it was possible that you would not like my voice so the fact that yeah a one person goes not funny did not not didn't didn't like a voice not well written i'm like fine oh that hurts though i really i liked it i i I didn't think at first i was like absolutely not i don't want to do this i didn't want to relive it and then they were like you should do it you should most people want the authors to to do that and i know that when i listen to audiobooks it helps so much particularly if it's a story because like why why would some other random person because it's like basically either it's regina king and everyone loves her or you're not going to get Regina King because no one's ever heard of you. So yeah, no one's ever going to, no one that anyone has ever heard of is going to care about your story. So you might as well do it yourself. <laughs> they didn't say well, it that oh. way. That's how it felt. Yeah. That's how it felt. Yes. Okay. The sawing outside my door makes me think that I am in my lifetime movie and that I might disappear soon. Yes. I was actually thinking that before I was like, are your parents sawing up like somebody that they've murdered? <laughs> My parents are outside sawing something or someone. And but here's the funny thing, Leslie. If you met her parents, that's the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard in your entire life. Her mom is like, "I love all the animals," and she's like sweet and cute and makes tinctures out of herbs. And her dad is like, "I'm a CPA and I know all about taxes." <laughs> taxes. So yes. funny. Let's see. Once but- again, those are the people you that you don't you don't expect it. You don't see Maybe. them coming. I can't see either of them murdering anybody. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you found this episode super enjoyable. Remember to check out the Patreon. Help us to keep the podcast going. Check out the Widow Wives Club and answer all of the questions. Don't just submit without answering the questions. And until we talk to you again, I'm Anita. I'm Mel. I was Leslie. And we're just two young widows and one lady who is a legitimate black widow but did not murder anybody that we did know not. of. Did not. Well, and I wouldn't tell you if I did. Correct. And we're just trying to figure out widow we do now. This is my favorite thing to discuss with you. Tell me. What one, is it? One of my favorite things. I do enjoy tacos and cheese and dogs. This is about how you cannot pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a phone plan, especially when you're a widow, your person is dead, you might have kids, you might need another option, and you just want your phone to work, you want unlimited texting and service, and you want it to be like 25 bucks a month. It blows my mind that they have plans that start at $15 a month. That is so cheap. And the cool thing is, is it uses other 5G networks, and so you don't have to pay extra for that, and you still get great service. Yep, Anita and I have traveled all over and I have used my phone. So I highly recommend it. And my mom's even on it. When my dad died, we put his phone down to the cheapest plan, which is $15 a month. And I think my mom's on the $20 a month plan and it's so worth it. It's so much cheaper than what we were all paying before. So I highly recommend it if you're on a budget or not. Who cares? Ryan Reynolds is in charge of the company and they send you free stickers with Ryan Reynolds temporary tattoos. It's kind of the best. So if somebody wants to sign up, what can they do, Anita? 
Go to trymintmobile.com slash WWDN. Seriously, you guys, such a great idea. Save yourself some money. And if you're worried about losing data or having any changes with your phone, not going to happen. They walk you through it. Everything's fine. It's the easiest process of all time. Again, that's trymintmobile.com slash WWDN.